Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Today, we're going into the portion called Korach. It's a portion that speaks about rebellion and, uh, well, again, additional difficulties for the children of Israel as they journey through the wilderness. And this story is uh, believed to have occurred after the sin of the spies. There's some dispute on that as to whether or not it could have occurred before the sin of the spies. But within the Torah, the chronological uh appearance here is that this could have happened after the bad report of the spies came and the children of Israel had been uh, told that they would have to wander in the wilderness for a total of 40 years. And the overarching message for today is the aspect of really seeking a good name or Really, that's the idea, is a good name. And when we hear the name Korach, we don't really think about a good name, right? We, we know, that, okay, well, if we're going to come into this portion, we're going to be talking about some rough things. Now, uh, there's a rabbi named Shimon Bar Yochai, who, in speaking of this portion, uh, he, he said that there are three crowns spoken of, that of Torah, priesthood, and royalty, but the crown of a good name exceeds them all. Okay? And the, this, the aspects of three crowns comes up from a, a couple of different components as we go through the, the story here. There's a time when Moses says that God will choose who he will choose and draw near to himself. He makes the, essentially says the same thing three times in a row. Right? And then there's another, there's more that we'll come to, but, what he says is the crown of a good name exceeds them all. And that these aspects of Torah, priesthood, and royalty is speaking of prophet, prophet, priest, and king. Okay, the three offices of Messiah. Now, Korah had neither the, he was neither a prophet, a priest, or a king, yet he sought those offices and in trying to seek those three out, he forfeited a good name. And even, you know, when you think about someone's name, right? And the name represents, so, it can represent someone's character, their authority. Um, it can also have direct meaning over their life, right? When we name our children, um, it's like, Lord, what's your desire for this child? What do you want this child to be named? And within the name is an image of God's destiny. And you see that uh, throughout the scriptures where uh, people do name their children, and their children's names play out in their lives. Now, one example from today's Haftarah uh, speaks about how King Nahash came and attacked the Israelites, right? Well, Nahash, I wonder if that was really this king's name, because Nahash is snake. Was he really King Snake, or is that how he's remembered and how he's represented in the Torah. I don't know. His name might have been Nahash, right? It might have been King Snake, but I'm kind of thinking that it probably wasn't, but that's how he's remembered. And I wonder if the same thing is with Korah, okay? Now, we don't know for sure what Korah's name means, but we might have a hint in Deuteronomy 14, verses 1 through 2. Scripture says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, right now you're probably saying, Chris, I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. But the word for baldness in the Scripture is koracha, or koracha. Okay, it's korah. <laughs> You shall not make any baldness on the at the top of your forehead. Okay, so what, what's all this really kind of talking about? Well, the aspect that they're speaking of is an Amorite practice of during your time of grief, particularly in the time of anger. You know how grief has cycles, 
you go through this aspect of disillusionment, and then you go into anger and so forth. Well, out of anger, pulling out the hair that's at the top of your forehead or cutting yourself, as described here in Deuteronomy. So the baldness is referring specifically to the pulling out of the hair here at the front of the forehead. I'm glad I have some to demonstrate. Um, I'm not going to pull it out, though. Um, but, so this, now you think about this, okay, so it's talking about this aspect and Korah. And the children of Israel are in a place of grief. They've just lost the chance to enter into the promised land. They could be coming into a place of anger, which could have been the thing that stirred up Korah. But regardless, you have Korah, who is removing something from the front of his forehead. Okay? What does God say to place on our foreheads? The Torah, his word, right? We say it every, every morning about, shall, these shall be as signs on your, on your forehead. Right, so the word, so there's actually like an aspect of removing the word, uh, an aspect of grieving, and God's saying, you shall not do what Korah did. And then he goes on to say, you're children of God, you know, like you're, you're holy unto the Lord. Okay? And this passage ties directly to our portion today, where Korah comes and he says, who are you, Moses? to be head over us. I want to remove you. I want to remove the head. Okay? And we're all holy. God says, don't be like Korah who tried to remove the word from, my word from his head because you are holy. Does that make sense? So there's, there's a connection here from Deuteronomy which I think reveals Korah's name. So was Korah's name really Korah? Yeah, maybe so. I don't really know. I'm speculating from the idea of maybe it's just how he's remembered in the scripture. But that's his name. It's a, and, and the scriptures associate it with, uh, with this aspect of really removal of the word and a practice that the Lord says not to partake in. Okay, so when we place God, when we place his word at the center of our forehead between our eyes, we are putting him in a place of remembrance, remembering him as our source and our satisfaction in all things. And that is what Korah did not do because he found himself dissatisfied, rejecting the word of God and seeking his own. So let's go to Numbers 4. And I want to kind of continue on the line of, well, what is it perhaps that, that stirred Korah to, to come into this place, right? There's the aspect of the grief and the anger that can come in. But what, what else might have stirred some of his, his anger? Now, real briefly, some background on Korah. Of course, he's of the family of Kohath within the, within the Levites. He was the firstborn of Ishar, who is the secondborn of Kohath. The firstborn of Kohath was Amram who was the father of Moses and Aaron, okay? And, and so he's, uh, he is a firstborn, but not a firstborn of the firstborn. And so in a way, you know, he didn't, uh, well, he, he, he didn't have the honor given to Aaron and Moses. And then also, too, he was rich, but he was passed over as the prince of the Kohathites. Okay, so in some ways he could feel slighted in what's going on of why is why are they better than me? Why are my cousins in a higher place than I am? And the next thing is when God took the the tribe of Levi, he said, Okay, Aaron, you and your sons, you're going to serve as priests unto me, and these other three families, you're going to hold different positions within the service of the tabernacle. Uh, the sons of Gershon and Merari, they're going to take care of moving the tabernacle itself and, and other components. But the, the Kohathites, they were given the task of carrying the holy items, right? The Ark of the Covenant, the altar of incense, and so forth. So this is a great honor given to the Kohathites, right? But when we read in Numbers 4 about how it's going to work, it's, it's interesting. Because in Numbers 4, here's what we read starting in verse 4. This is the service of the sons of Kohath and the tent of meeting, the most holy things. 
When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goatskin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put it put in its poles. And then carry on with them, verse 15. So we jump forward to verse 15. Verses 7 through 14, all were speaking about what Aaron and his sons will do with regard to covering the vessels. And in verse 15 it says, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So what we see is the instructions are given to Kohath, but then the scripture just goes and talks about the sons of Aaron. <laughs> and bookends it with, yeah, you're going to do this thing and you're just going to carry these items. But all the important aspects with regard to covering the items, seeing them, that's all Aaron and, and his sons. But God, you're, you're just going to carry them. I mean, you might, in some way, the sons of Kohath might feel slighted in that of, hey, we get to carry these vessels, but we don't get to see them. Like, are we so low that we can't uh, come that near, but Aaron can? All right, so there could have been some jealousy stirred up within them. And then, I think we have one more, in verses 17 through 20 of the same chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus, thus with them that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden, but they shall not go in to look at, on the holy things even for a moment lest they die. So now we find out that not only do the, the Kohathites just carry them after they've been covered up and you know can't see them, then the sons of Aaron are going to tell them what job they're going to do. They're going to say, okay, Ben, you're going to carry this item, and you're going to carry that one, and you're going to carry this. It's like, and you're going to tell me what to do? Can't we figure this out ourselves? Right? So anyway, there's, there's great potential for uh, someone to feel like they've been slighted. Right? And so then it's like, well, you're not the boss of me. I'd like to cast you off and do my own thing. Right? Even though they were given one of the highest honors, right? To carry the holy items, even though you couldn't see them. Still, to carry the holy items. So it's a great position. But, but Korah, rather than thinking of the high honor that he was given, instead focused on what he didn't have rather than what he was given by God to do and to carry out. And so he felt like he should have had more. And so he went after more at great risk, right? So let's go to number 16 and we'll read some of this story. Starting in verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is and who he is, who is his, excuse me, who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. There, right there, that's where we see these, these three. He'll show who is his, who is holy, even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you, and you are seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? 
Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. So here in this case, Moses makes it clear that, hey, Korah, you're not gathered against me and against Aaron. You're gathered against the Lord because the Lord has put us in this position. Now, if you think about Moses and Aaron, when all of this came to be, when they were put into their positions to go and redeem Israel from Egypt, they did not seek a name for themselves. Right? In fact, Moses tried to get out of it. Right? The Lord's like, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you are going to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, why me? <laughs> he wasn't like, oh, 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 me. Build my name. Right? But Moses was all about how do I build God's name up and walking in humility. And it was really the same with Aaron. Aaron was a peacemaker. He never sought to glorify himself. He didn't seek the position of high priest, but rather he was God's choice to fill that role. And so, you know, they, they had been appointed from a position of humility and continued to walk in humility, even in their great position as the leaders of Israel. Now they're being accused of having exalted themselves and taking things unto themselves by one who is exalting himself. Right? It's the pot calling the kettle black. Saying that someone else is doing the very thing that they themselves desire to do. It's ultimate hypocrisy. And so within this, I wondered, why didn't, you know, if the issue was just wanting to see the items in the tabernacle, then Korah could have just, on his own initiative, just gone in and started to wrap up all the holy items himself, right? Now, what would have held him back from doing that? Did he think, well, this would be too much too soon? You know, the people might see me as a rebel. They might see me as, as someone who's going beyond what I should do. Or maybe he even actually believed he might die. I don't know, right? But the route that he took was not one of taking direct action at it. He said, well, I'm going to come about this in a, in a more moderate way, in a, in a slow way. I'm going to start talking to people around me, and I'm going to build up their dissatisfaction as well so that I can have people who can commiserate with me. And then from a place, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to tickle their ears with things that sound good. I'm going to say, hey, didn't God back at Sinai say that the whole nation is holy? Aren't we all a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Why do these people set themselves apart as the holy ones? We're the ones who are really the holy vessels. Let's go and let's take our place, right? It's much easier to do that, gather up your crowd and supporters and then go and attack than to just go and do what, you know, kind of what I guess maybe he, I don't know, did he really want that? Or did he really want the priesthood? Did he really want to be the ruler? But, you know, what he says to the people sounds scriptural, right? Because he's using the word of God. And it is true, but it's negating other words of God, right? He has to set aside some words of God in order for his interpretation of this other scripture to stand. But there are going to be people who are going to buy that. Go all the way back to the garden. Here's Eve in the garden, and the serpent says, did God not tell you to eat of none of the trees? Or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And, uh, and she's like, no, it's just, just this one. He's like, surely you won't die. Well, there you go. You know, we're starting to, starting to bring people into deception. And really, at the core of it, he's trying to overthrow the rule of Moses and Aaron, but he's also in some way trying to set up, uh, maybe even potentially a little bit of anarchy, right? With, we're all holy. We should all be able to do these things. Made me think about the movie, uh, Les Miserables. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of really good songs, but there's this one song where they're, they're singing about the revolution they're about to bring, and they say, every man will be a king. And it's like, how does that work? <laughs> how does that work? I don't know, but uh, I, I kind of see a, a, a parallel here with what's going on with Korah 
and his followers where they, they think this revolution's a really good idea, but they really don't know what they're walking into. They, they don't see how it would really play out. So let's go uh, continuing on to number 16, verse 18. So Moses had, had said, we're, you know, tomorrow the Lord will determine who is his. And he tells them to bring incense before the Lord. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Avram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Avram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Avram. And Dathan and Avram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So the outcome was not good. Right, the Lord affirmed Moses and Aaron as His chosen one. Or, I guess in this case, He affirmed Moses as His chosen one, right? Because Moses was saying, "The Lord has sent me." And Korah, Nathan, or Dathan, and Avram all went down into the pit. Uh, but the Lord called Moses and Aaron first to separate themselves. But Moses and Aaron, rather than separating themselves, fell on their faces in intercession before the Lord to say. Oh Lord, don't wipe all these people out. Only hold those accountable. It would, it would be not your character to strike down all the people, but rather just the guilty ones, right? And so through their intercession, many were saved. But then God said to the assembly, He said, remove yourselves from them, right? So then the people had a, a, a part to play. Were they, were they going to take Korah's side or were they going to heed the word of the Lord? And those who heeded the word of the Lord were saved and not swallowed up. But those who stood by Korah, Dathan, and Avram were swallowed up, right? Okay, so now we have the earth swallowing them up. Now, what is interesting here is there's, there's additional details hidden within the Torah here of what Korah was saying and and how it was represented before the Lord. When I earlier when I said that Korah was saying, Well, we're the holy vessels about him and his followers, this is actually hinted at in the scriptures. So the scripture here said that Korah and his fo- and his followers were swallowed up. And that's the Hebrew word balah. Okay, that same Hebrew word is used back in Numbers 4. Okay, back in Numbers 4, when we read that, that they said uh, all of the items in the holy place were covered up, they were balah. Okay, so throughout Numbers 4, it was saying they're going to cover the ark with this, they'll cover these other items with something else. They're using a different verb until the very end Back there in like Numbers 4.20, I think. Um, 
at the end when they said that the everything would be covered up so that the Kohathites would not die when they came to carry it. It said all the items had been swallowed up. All the holy items were swallowed up. And now you come to the scripture and you say these people who are presenting themselves as the holy ones, as the holy vessels, are swallowed up by the earth. They actually got exactly what they asked for. They said, we want to be the holy things. And God said, well, the holy things get swallowed up. Wow. Yikes, right? Uh, sometimes we get what we ask for, right? And, and you know, I, I feel like they're asking for, you know, yeah, for their own glory was their own downfall. It's kind of like when the spies came back with the bad report and they said, oh, well, all of our children are going to be destroyed if we go up and try to take the land. And God says, well, actually, no, you'll be destroyed, you know, as not your children, but I'll do the opposite. With your children, I'm going to bring them into the land, right? So it's kind of, that was kind of a reversal there. But in this case, uh, Korah got really exactly what he asked for. And, and part of it, you know, Moses, or, uh, Korah had said, all the people are holy and God is with them. Betocham, within them, like in their midst or within them. If you think back to Exodus 25.8, when God says, they shall build a sanctuary for me that I will, that I may dwell among them. That same word could have been that I may dwell within them. Right? Well, so then when Korah is saying, all the people are holy and God is with them, he's, he's likening him and his assembly to the tabernacle, to the Mishkan. He's like, we are the tabernacle of God and he's going to dwell. He dwells in us. We're the holy ones. Okay. Now, the thing is, I'm not just making this up because I don't know how to make things up. But <laughs> in number 16, when God speaks about them, in number 1624, I believe it is. Let's see. Okay. He says, okay, this, this is one interpretation of it. When, when God says, get yourselves up from around the dwelling places of Korah, Dathan, and Avram, it's get yourselves up away from the Mishkan of Korah, Dathan, and Avram. So you could say that's the dwelling places, or you could say, get yourselves up away from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Avram. That they have made themselves out as a tabernacle. Trying to really replace, again, God's word and, and what God has established as the way in which his nation is to operate. And so they get swallowed up. Um, one more thing on this, and then we'll move on. But there's a midrash that talks about how Korah and his followers were wearing garments of techelet when they came to challenge Moses. Okay, techelet is the sky blue color that the priest's robe is made of, and that is the strand that is placed within the tzitzit. Okay, it is a holy, it's a holy color, set apart. And every one of the holy items in the tabernacle, when they were covered, had a covering of techelet somewhere within the mix of what was placed over them. So it's interesting. So the rabbis and sages saw this same kind of connection here that Korah and his followers were really placing themselves as the holy vessels. Yes, I just had a question. So, you know, we're looking here, they, they laid incense, and um, if I, do you know if this was in the morning service typically or the evening service that they would do or the afternoon service that they would be offering incense? Because I think it was like also, I think the incense offering was like the closest, if you look at like the, uh, the temple mm -hmm. and all that, it's the closest to the Holy of Holies, right? Because like, this is something like before you go to the Holy of Holies, there's the incense that's dropped in and stuff like that. So, I mean, you're really close. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, do you know if that was during the morning service or the afternoon service? Does I, I don't know if it says anything like that. So, uh, And was it specifically incense because they were trying to get as close to the Holy of Holies as well too? Um, so I believe that incense is offered both morning and evening. Okay, but this occurred in the morning. And whether they actually entered into the holy place, I don't think so. I think they, they gathered together at the tent of meeting, um, but I don't know that they actually entered into... Yeah. I was just 
Yeah, it is. It is that only the only the priests can do. Only the priests are allowed to bring it. Anyone else who would bring it would die. Is the is the penalty according to scripture? So when they brought it, they were putting their lives on the line, believing that they were fit to bring that offering because they didn't believe the word of God that it was just for Aaron and his sons, right? Um, but yes, offering the, the incense is a great honor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so now after this incident, you would think that this kind of settles it, right? But it doesn't settle it because the next morning, the rest of the congregation says, you just killed people of God, right? Because these are 250 people of renown. And they said, you knew that them offering incense would result in their death, but yet you told them to do it, right? And so now you got another uprising coming against uh, Moses and Aaron. And again, God, well, God's not pleased with it, right? And God again says to Moses and Aaron that he is going to strike the assembly in number 16, Starting in verse 41. Actually, let's, let's jump forward to, so they already, they grumbled, and then let's skip forward to say verse 45. Oh yeah, the, the, the glory cloud had appeared, and God says, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. And then they fell on their faces. So we've heard this before. Right? They fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put in it fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly, for behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been checked. Okay, so the incense had resulted in death to those who tried to bring it according to their own way, but it was life to those who received it as an intercession. And so that, that was a key illustration here that, that Moses and Aaron were bringing to the people was that it wasn't the incense that killed. The incense actually is an atonement. Um, so it says there was a plague, right? Where did the plague start exactly? Or is it... So whatever this plague was, it came very quickly. Yeah, uh, because it was like an immediate reaction and 14,700 died. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly how it how it came about or how it spread. Is it related to Sara'at, the um, the evil speech? Well, that's a good that question. Can, you know, spread to buildings. But I, I don't I don't know that it would be tied to the Sara'at because um, it it Sara'at usually did not uh, result in death, right? It yeah. was it was a more of a long term affliction. Um, but yeah, so whatever this was, God's judgment was coming on the people, causing very quick death, and they called it a plague. Yeah. What, so I mean, it may not, I don't know what the, the basis or mechanism for how it worked. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But good questions. All right. Um, okay, so Moses and Aaron who had been accused of exalting themselves over the congregation, hear the Lord say, you know, remove yourselves from the midst of this congregation. Specifically, the Hebrew says, lift yourselves up from the midst of this congregation, and I will consume them in an, in an instant. So God says, raise yourselves up, and they fall on their faces. <laughs> exactly the opposite of what they're being accused of doing. So humble that when even God says, move, lift yourselves up, they still fall on their faces before the Lord. Now, in one way, you might say, wait a second, are they being disobedient? Because God said, lift yourselves up, right? For I will do X. 
But implicitly in that, God was saying, if you don't lift yourselves up, then I won't do X. Then I won't consume them all in an instant. So God actually gave an opportunity within his statement. Right? So, and, and you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, you've got the will of the Lord, and he's going to do what he wants to do. But then there's times when he says, uh, I'll do this if, and you say, oh, well, if not, what's on the other hand? Now, what can I do? Moses and Aaron could have gotten up and moved out of the way, and the will of God would have been carried out. But then there was a, another will that God had that he desired Moses and Aaron to move into, such that more mercy could be extended, and they chose the better. They humbled themselves. They fell on their faces rather than lifting themselves up. So again, they're taking the exact opposite course of action that Korah and the other people were doing. Once again, they weren't seeking a name for themselves. It's just like Yeshua. He wasn't seeking a name for himself. He was given a name, right? When, when he came, he was challenged multiple times to, to prove himself to be the Messiah, right? And he would do signs and wonders. He'd say, now don't go tell anyone. Just keep that to yourselves. He wasn't trying to go out and build a name. He was going out to try to build the kingdom of God. And so the name of God might be honored. And then, uh, you know, throughout his life, even on the cross, they're saying, bring yourself down. When he was tempted in the wilderness, it was, you know, throw yourself down from this mountain. Do all these things. Get yourself a great name. Rule over the world right now. Prove yourself. She was like, no. That's not the way that, that's not God's will. That's not the way that he's done. So Yeshua always went low. And we know at the end, because he was faithful, because he gave up his life, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That in the name of Yeshua, every knee would bow, right? And every tongue confess that Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Yeshua didn't seek a name for himself. And, you know, bring, coming in to, to talk about Yeshua, we're going to talk a little bit about the three aspects here again of the, the prophet, priest, and the king. And it's tied into another part of our portion here with the branch that blossomed, or with the, with the staff that blossomed. So let's go to Numbers 17, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get, and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all the chiefs gave them gave him staffs, one for each chief according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses... As the Lord commanded him, so he did. Okay, so the scriptures say that the staff blossomed. Okay? And within this, uh, a staff, of course, is just a dead piece of wood that may have been carved out. Uh, but it's one, a staff represents authority. Okay? And so each of the tribes, each of the leaders of the tribes had a staff and they brought them here to see whom God would choose. And, and of course, the scripture said that Aaron's staff blossomed and actually brought forth ripe almonds. Isn't that amazing, right? It's a really neat thing, but it brings several uh, allusions to the Messiah, particularly speaking like from Isaiah 11.1, 1, 
when it, the scripture says, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Okay. Um, the word branch here is Netzer, which uh, forms, that's where Nazareth came from, right? Uh, there's two terms typically used for uh, for branch, Netzer and Tzemach, okay? And we're going to look at a few of those scriptures too, but the, the one of the Targums, the Aramaic translations for Isaiah 1, or Isaiah 11, 1, says, And a king shall come forth from the sons of Jesse, and from his children's children the Messiah shall be anointed. Okay? Because in a nature from his roots, you know, this branch from his roots is speaking of the children that come up from him. This Messiah from the roots of Jesse will come forth and be anointed. And in Isaiah 4, 2, the scripture says that in that day, the branch, in this case, the tzemach of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivor of survivors of Israel. Jeremiah 23, 5 also speaks of this righteous branch when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, or Tzemach, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Okay? Now, this, this word Tzemach, this word for branch, the verb form means to sprout and to blossom forth. Okay? So when this staff sprouts and blossoms forth, it's a, it gives us a picture of the idea of Messiah, and not only the picture of the Messiah, but we were talking about a dead branch that came back to life and bore fruit, okay? Which is a picture of the resurrection. And so we're talking about this staff of the Lord, his authority, that is resurrected and brings forth, <laughs> brings forth fruit. It's his chosen one, who is his chosen priest, right? Because in this case, the, the, the rod blossomed for who the chosen priest was, the chosen priest on earth, Aaron. But in the case of Yeshua, God raised him up from the dead and gave him life, and those who abide in him bear much fruit, such that God would establish and affirm that this is his chosen Messiah who will reign as the priest in the heavenly temple, according to the order of Melchizedek, right? So it's it's a neat picture here, and in the in the Amidah, right, the standing prayer that is said multiple times a day. There is a prayer about God's divine might, and within this prayer, I'm not going to say the whole whole part of it. But I'll read the first part and towards the end of it. The prayer says, "You are eternally mighty, Lord. You give life to the dead and have great power to save." And then the, some of the concluding is, and and just speaking right there, you give life to the dead, right? You give resurrection life to the dead. You are a king who brings death and gives life and makes salvation grow, right? He brings death and gives life. That's the resurrection too. That's the order. It's not you bring life and give death. It's you bring death and give life and make salvation grow. Now, this prayer right here where it says, and make salvation grow, it's umatsmiach Yeshua, okay? That's Tzemach, the, the word Tzemach, Yeshua, the branch of salvation, the branch of Yeshua. Isn't that cool? So right there tied into this is God's divine might to bring resurrection, and it says the branch of Yeshua. <laughs> he is the one resurrected and brings us the resurrection. That's really, really cool. And... um. Zechariah 6.12, we'll just go to another one here. The scripture here says, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Right? Yeshua is building a temple right now, and he, and he will build one on his return. He's building the temple of the Lord, which are his believers, who are stones fitted together, making up a holy temple for the dwelling place of God. And then when Yeshua comes to rule and reign, he will rebuild the physical temple on the earth too. And he is, of course, the, the tzemach, the branch. Now there's another thing that, that comes into play here. According to Numbers Rabbah, okay, within Jewish tradition, when Aaron's bud sprouted, the name of God was also written on his staff. 
right? All the tribal leaders had written their names on their staff and they'd taken them and placed them in the, in the tabernacle. Aaron's rod sprouted and budded. And then according to tradition, God's name, yod heh was written on the staff as well. You say, well, how did they come to that idea? Was it just that sounds neat? No. It, it actually is derived from Numbers 17.8. Okay? And in Numbers 17.8, I actually know that I've got the... Well, actually, no, okay, sorry. It's 17.8 in Christian num- Bibles, and it's 17.23 in Hebrew Bibles. This throws me off all the time. But, okay, it says... On the next day, Moses came to the tent of the testimony. Behold, the staff of Aaron of the house of Levi had blossomed. It brought forth a blossom, sprouted a bud, and almonds ripened. Okay, but within this, there's a particular word that is used for the verb and uh, repeated a couple of times, and it's tzitz. Okay, think about tzitzit. Okay, we'll now just scratch off the last part of it. The tzitz is is firmly placed in here, that it blossomed seats. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to us at first glance, but when we look at the garments of the high priest, you know, they had the, the robe, the aphod, they had the, the turban, and then they also had the golden headplate that's placed right there at the forehead. And on the seats is the name of God. It's holy to the Lord. Okay, so when it, when the scripture said that the staff brought forth seats, they said, "Well, the the name of God is on the seats on the high priest's head. He bears it on his forehead, right where the phylacteries are always placed. Right, he bears the name of God. So they from that they inferred that the name of God was written on this staff. Okay." So a name was placed upon the priesthood, and it was the name of God. Now then you think about what we said earlier from Philippians 2.9 with Yeshua, who is the staff that budded, being the resurrection, right? The resurrected one. And because Yeshua humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, the scripture says, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He placed his name upon Yeshua, right? And so it's the same kind of parallel here of God's name being written on the staff, God's name being placed upon Yeshua, the name that is above every name. So, within this, a lot of it comes back to what we place between our eyes. <laughs> what is it that we're going to look at? When we look around and we see the world or others or where God has placed us, what God has given us, do we look upon what others have and covet that? Or do we place God's word and Him right at the center that we would keep our focus on Him and say, Lord, you're my source and you're my satisfaction. I can look, I can look at other things and I can find dissatisfaction. I can find discontentment because I can see other ways of lack and how I could have more. But if I keep my eyes on you and on what your word says and what you've given, then I find my satisfaction. I don't just find contentment. I find satisfaction because that was one of the things I was thinking about. It's like, oh, well, Cora was discontent. And I was like, well, what's the opposite of discontent? Well, it's content. I'm like, but we, we find more than contentment in God. We find satisfaction in God. And when we walk according to how he's designed us and what he's given us to do, we really find fulfillment. We find joy. It's when we look outside of that that we find disappointment. And we turn to anger, bitterness, and jealousies. So we have to look to him as our life and our salvation and know that we receive from him a good name when we walk in his ways. And it's not about us building up our name. It's about building up his name. But then as a result of a life that's lived given unto him to build up his name and his kingdom, then he bestows on his children a good name. And I think in Revelation it actually speaks about uh, those who have believed will be given 
a name that only he knows. Is that right? Anyway, it's a very rough paraphrase there. But, but there's the idea that God is going to bestow upon us blessings and goodness, but we have to keep him before our eyes, fixed on him, keeping his word and him as his person, seeking relationship with him to walk in it and be all that he has planned to be. Um, did anybody have anything that you wanted to share or say? I was thinking as you were talking about Korak and how he caused dissension and you took it back to the garden. And I was even thinking further back, we're in heaven, how Satan had caused dissension in heaven. Very good. Absolutely, yeah. Because Satan deceived a, a host and was thrown down with a whole host. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In a way, the, the earth kind of swallowed up the uh, angelic host too, right? Because they were cast. You know, and it will. Yeah, you're right. It's like we had a foretaste and there's more to come. <laughs> That's right. All right. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you're patient with us, that you do desire mercy. Lord, we ask that you'd renew our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would humble ourselves and seek your face, that we would seek to build up your name, Lord, for you are worthy. Your name is holy. Lord, we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in all things, Lord. We ask for uh, peace on us as we walk out our weeks. May we strengthen and encourage one another. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.